0: Only then, that which is nameless, comes into being.
1: This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti Podcast. There can be understanding only when there is tremendous urgency. When there is urgency, there is attention, and out of that comes freedom. Hello and welcome to episode 187 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from our archives, representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Urgency. Upcoming themes are Culture, Resistance and Being and Becoming. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK, which is also home to the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre. Situated in the beautiful countryside of the South Downs National Park, the Krishnamurti Centre offers individual and group retreats for those wishing to inquire into themselves in light of Krishnamurti's teachings. The events programme for 2023 now includes two further young adult retreats, September the 1st to the 5th, and November the 16th to the 19th, for those under 35. We have lowered our rates for this retreat, and further concessions are available. All other events at the Centre have no upper age limit. Please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. This week's episode on Urgency has five sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in in 1966, titled When There Is Urgency, There Is Attention.
0: What we are going to attempt to do is to explore. And to explore there must be freedom. That's the first thing, freedom. To inquire. which obviously means freedom from any commitment, intellectual or otherwise, from any philosophy, from any dogma, so that the mind can look. And a mind can only look Law, when it is not caught, for the time being at least, in its own problems or in its own hopes, it's not committed to any philosophy, to any dogma, to any church. And that's it, seems to me, one of the most difficult things to do. <laughs> to look attentively at our own problems as a human being demands not only freedom but attention. To attend implies, surely, doesn't it, to give your mind and heart to it totally, (coughs) with your nerves, with your ears, with your eyes, with your heart, with your mind, to give totally to understand something, and to give... so attentively, totally, there needs to be no motive, no persuasion. Either you do it naturally because the urgency of the problem is so great that it must be solved. But if you have a motive, And all our urgency, generally, is based on some limited motive, and therefore our problems continue. So the task for the listener, for you, is very great. Because most of us don't want to solve these problems, the problems of love, death, and how to live. And that's what we're going to discuss, that's what we're going to inquire, whether it is at all possible for human beings to be totally rid of all despair. means to be totally free of all fear, and therefore lead a life not in the future, but a life that has has not limited by time as yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And whether it is at all possible to free the mind from all the centuries upon centuries conditioning, (coughs) by the propaganda of churches, religions, by the propaganda of society, the whisper of the neighbour, of the magazines, of the newspapers, of the politicians, of the priests, so that the mind is free. Otherwise, man will live everlastingly in pain and misery, sorrow, So we're asking ourselves whether it is at all possible for human beings living in this world not running away into a monastery or to some peculiar philosophy or take drugs because intelligent, the more you are aware of the world's problems, the more they become despair, there is no meaning. And so drugs is a way of escape. And by escape they think that we are going to resolve the problems. On the contrary. So can we bring about a radical change in our way of thinking, living, feeling? Seriously, considering what the world is, we do. More aware one is of these extraordinarily complex problems, the more one wants a change, one wants a deep revolutionary change. Not a day. Economic or social level, because they never do really solve any human problem, as the communist revolution has proved. They come after killing millions and millions of people, will come back to the same pattern. <laughs> but what we are talking about is a revolution. At a totally different level. A revolution in the psyche, in the mind itself. And whether it is at all possible to bring about that change, that revolution, not guided by our inclination, by our temperament or compelled by circumstances, society. One can say, that one does change certain amount to a certain degree by circumstances, by influence, through some form of compulsion and an invention. That's, go- that's going on all the time in our life. Some environmental compulsion makes us, whether we are willing or not willing, to change, modify. But such modification doesn't alter the fundamental issues of life. First, one of the fundamental issues of life is freedom. And that requires tremendous inquiry, intelligence, sensitivity to find out what it is to be free. Revolt is not freedom. Revolt against the present structure of society, which is completely bourgeois, middle class, the revolt against prosperity, going about with long hair, dirty, or all the rest of it. That's not freedom, surely. And we always regard, it seems to me, (laughs) we regard freedom from something, from despair, from psychological irritation. We always regard freedom from a state to another state, which we call freedom. And if we examine it a little closely, such freedom is merely a reaction. And a reaction invariably produces other reactions, and in that one is called. and therefore it's not freedom at all. Therefore, freedom is not from something, but per se, in itself. One is aware of the utter meaninglessness of life – one may have money, property, They've been in a comfortable house, three meals a day, and all the rest of it. And through all that runs a thread of utter hopelessness, the utter meaninglessness of going to an office every day for the next 40 years. for the rest of 40 years, cooking, cooking, cooking and washing dishes. Either one does it automatically, (coughs) or one is compelled to do it, or one says that part of life and one has to go through with it. And at the end of it all, Life has no meaning, except one has had pleasure, sexual or otherwise, pleasure looking at the blue sky, the light through the leaves, the stars of an evening, and the movement of water in the moonlight. There is great delight in all that but that soon passes away and becomes a memory, an ash, ashes. And one wants to be free, free from this utter boredom of life. And therefore, that freedom is translated into revolt. saying the young and the old, the older does not understand the younger generation and so on and all the rest of that business. Whereas freedom comes not through revolt, it comes naturally when there is the intention when there is the urgency and attention in examining the social, psychological structure of what we are, to examine as human beings what we are, because we are the result of a social structure, The society is you and you are the society, you have built the society, according to our particular idiosyncrasies, greed, comp- and all the rest of it. So this psychological structure of what we are is the result of thousands of years of society, of communities, with their beliefs, dogmas, superstitions, with their hopes with their gods and all the rest of it. It is that one has to understand and go very deeply to be free from that turmoil of the social structure, this psychological structure of of what we are. Unless one is free from that, there will be no escape. You may run away, take to drink, start new religions, LSD, and all the rest of it. But unless this psych, this psychological structure of what we are, and and in understanding that, and there can be understanding only when there is tremendous urgency, and when there is an urgency, there is attention. And out, out of that comes freedom. And then you can look. Then you can go much further. Then you can begin to inquire if there is any truth. There is something far beyond that which thought has put together. Because man, throughout the historical process, has always inquired, there is something beyond this everyday, monotonous, routine life. And when he inquired, it was an escape from the daily existence, with all its despairs and miseries and conflicts. So when he inquired, it was an invention, a projection of his own desires, hopes, And it's only a free mind and therefore a new mind that can discover something far beyond that which man out of his fear, despair and boredom created something which man calls God. So our task during these talk- talks here is not to be stimulated to inquire. If you are relying on being stimulated in order to enquire, then you depend on another. And therefore, you have already committed and therefore cease to examine. One inquires because of the urgency. You know what is happening in the world. There's a war, people are killing each other. And there are those who, who say, this is not my war, my favourite war, I like another war, There are those who justify killing and this has been going on for 5,000 years. An archaeologist said that in Babylon, on that brick, a man had written that he hoped this would be the last war 5,000 years ago. And man, till now, has chosen war as the way of life. Not only war outwardly, but inwardly. Our life is a battlefield of resentment, hate, conflict, struggle endless competition. We may deny the outward war. Intelligent people generally do. And when they do, they do not belong to any religion, to any class, to any group, to any nationality, to any system of thought. You may reject outward war, but inwardly we are in battle with ourselves and with another. And that's our life. And that we are incapable of facing and understanding and going into and be utterly free of it. Because that, it, to understand it, to go into it, We are afraid because it may produce a totally different kind of revolution from that what we want. So we avoid. And hence we continue with war. And that's our way of life. And one may talk of love. Talk about go to church and all that immature, idiotic stuff. Mm. (coughs) But we continue to live a way that produces wars. To live without war means to live peacefully. Without competition, without envy, without resentment, people store resentment and carry on for years. So If we would bring about a different world, and we must, that's only man's hope, a different mind, a mind that has observed all this, observed how man has divided the world into nationalities, into races, into colour, into religions observing all these inventions, putting them all aside, completely. Then only one can live peacefully. Then only you can be, perhaps, a world... where there'll be no wars, where there'll be no envy. In this country, there's immense prosperity. And in the East, there is nothing at all. There's hunger, misery. Naturally, there are envies. And this self-centered prosperity only will lead to further wars, further misery. The political problem, there is only one, which is the unity of mankind, not according to democratic or the communist or this or that policy, but actual unity of mankind all this is not possible when thought is guided by personal inclination and temperament or compelled by circumstances what is what will bring about a radical revolution in the mind radical fundamental mutation of the mind, is only possible when we are capable of examining, not at something else but of ourselves, not through a psychologist or an analyst. That will lead nowhere. It may temporarily alleviate certain types of people who are neurotic and so on, but even then, that's, that's it, another problem. To resolve anything, one has to be, to watch without time, <coughs> to see the thing immediately, and thereby bring about a total mutation in our soul,
1: Uh, you spoke of urgency, making uh, <coughs> a freedom, to you uh, explain further what you meant
0: by urgency? Or? Would you please explain further, our questioner asks, what do you mean by urgency? When we are in acute physical pain, there is an urgency. And you add. There's not all the tremendous intellectual complex motivation and all the rest of it. You add. And the psychological agency, and that agency is much more important than the physical agency, we neglect. Will postpone the urgency of a man who is frightened. The urgency to resolve it and to find out it is at all possible to psychologically to be totally free from fear, and that that is the urgency. To inquire into this whole question of fear. is possible to examine, to find out what is involved in the question of fear. There is not only which we shall go into now because it's it's a, a very complex problem, fear. In that problem, is involved the whole process of machinery of thinking. What brings on fear, whether it's thought or purely physical danger? So to inquire into it and to resolve it demands urgency. And that's what we mean by that word, urgent.
1: The second extract is from the fourth talk in Saanen, 1970, titled, The very urgency of change is the change. You are asking the beginning of the talk, what uh, made us try to solve problems separately. And isn't urgency one of the reasons which make us try to solve problems separately? For instance, if the house burns, I have to get out of the house. If in the world things are so urgent, shan't we try to solve them right away?
0: We want to solve the problems right away, urgently. As a house burns, we act immediately. As we said, if you see the danger, you act. In that action there is no impatience, there is not a question of urgency, you act. Please watch it, sir. The urgency and the demand for action immediately can take place only when you see the danger, Mm? the danger of the me as thought dividing the world into this mess, when you see the total danger of it. And the seeing is the urgency and action. Look, sir, if you really saw starvation – we have been brought up in starvation, not you people, we, in India. We know what it means, having very little food to eat, And see how this starvation has been brought about, callousness of people, governments, Hmm? the inefficiency of the politicians – they must always be inefficient because they are concerned with their party, with, with which they identify their own petty little arrogance and this is happening all over the world and you see the urge the see this nature of it and when you see the nature of it hmm, what do you do tackle one starvation by itself or do you say look this whole thing is the is a psychological issue which is centred in the me, hmm? brought about by thought, unless that is completely, totally understood – starvation in different forms, not only physical starvation but the human starvation of having no love, not seeking love – you will then find the right action. The very urgency of change is change, not the change that will come about through urgency. I don't know if you see that.
1: The third extract is from Krishnamurti's second talk in Sanan, 1977, titled Urgency Puts the Background in Abeyance. We're going to see,
0: investigate together, whether there is a life in which there is not a spark of authority. Now, how are we going to investigate it? Because all our educated backgrounds, consciously or unconsciously, is bound by this tradition of obedience. Obey. They know better than you do. Therefore, the wise, the aristocracy of the wise is the salvation of the foolish. This is a good old you know this, you have heard about this. So how are we going to go into this problem? Which is your problem, a human problem, which What capacity do you investigate? Investigation implies the mind must be free of cause and effect. Mustn't it? You understand? To investigate, there must be freedom from motive. Right? I wonder if you see this. No? I want to investigate the question of the authority. My background says you must obey, you must follow. And in the process of investigation, the, my background is always projecting, right? Is always distorting my investigation. So can I be free of my background so that it doesn't interfere in any way in my investigation? My urgency to investigate, to find the truth, my urgency, my immediacy, my demand to find out the truth of it. Makes the background in a band, puts the background in a band because my intensity is so strong to find out the background doesn't interfere. You see the point? I wonder if you do. Which is my. The background is so strong. My education, my conditioning is so it is accumulated for centuries, I, the, consciously I can't fight it. I can't push it aside. Right? I can't battle with it. I can't I have no time to take it through analysis step by step. Life is too short. So my very intensity to find out the truth of authority makes my background much further away. You follow what I mean? It is not impinging on my mind. Do, you, would you see that? Do you see that? It's reasonable, isn't it? It's logical. It's safe. to fight the background. Intensifies the background, right? But the urgency to find out the truth of authority, the urgency, because it is tremendously important to, to discover the truth, because then there is a freedom to look, to investigate, to find out, right? I hope I am not pushing you through my intensity. So are you prepared to investigate this whole question of psychological external or imposed authority of human beings by other human beings, to find the truth of it, which means to find the truth there must be no motive no cause for the investigation into the truth of authority you understand this i wonder if I do. this is asking a tremendous lot isn't it Are we prepared for this, or are we all too old? Doesn't matter if you are too old, it is your affair, if you are not intense, it is your affair. I want to find out the truth of it, as a human being. Not now, I have gone through all this for the last fifty years, so I am out doesn't mean a thing to me or any authority. But I'm assuming, say, as a representative of a human being, I say to myself, "I want' to find the truth of this matter, which is whether one life, whether one can live a life, without any conformity, without any conflict. Without having a goal, a purpose, a projected ideal, which all create, bring about conflict. You understand it, right? The intensity of the investigation depends on your on the urgency to find the truth of it, to have tremendous energy to find out. Most of us dissipate this energy – goodness, how hot it is! – most of us dissipate this energy through conflict – right? – what is and what must be. If we see the what must be, is an escape, or an avoidance of the fact of what is. Or thought, incapable of meeting what is, projects what should be, and uses that as a lever to to remove what is. You follow all this? Obviously. So, is it possible to look observe what is without any motive, to change it, transform it, to make it conform to a particular pattern that you or another has established. You are following all this or is it getting too much? I wonder why you are all here. I would like to find out, if I may, why you're all here. You can't answer me, naturally, each one. But are you out of curiosity? Or listen to some Asiatic person with some peculiar philosophy? Or are you here because he has a reputation? Or you have read some books? And say, Well, I wonder if I can, by reading books, I can't understand the man, but I will go and listen to him and find out if I can understand. So, if you are, you should ask yourself if, my, if, I, if one may point out why you are here. Because, as we said, this is a very, very serious matter. It's a matter of life and death, and I mean it. In a world that is totally disintegrating, in a hypocritical, monstrous world, immoral world, where they're preparing for war through all kinds of instruments, right? You've known all this. Is it You want to escape from all that and listen to somebody who is talking something which you hope to understand, or seeing all that, seeing what the world is, the divisions, the conflict, the corruption, the pollution, the horrors of killing each other, all that is going on in the world, seeing all that, you say, there must be a way out of all this an intelligent, rational, sane way out of all this mess. If that is your intention, then you are serious. But just come here casually and listen casually and agreeing or disagreeing, you know, that has no meaning whatsoever. So let's proceed. We are assuming. The speaker is assuming that you are really desperately serious in a nice, humorous in a humoristic way serious. And being serious, you are. Together, we are going to investigate into this question of authority and see the truth of it, not opinions, not judgments, not, uh, it is necessary or it is not necessary, see the truth of it and therefore be totally free of authority – authority of a book, authority of a priest, authority of psychologists with their latest desperate inventions and so on, so on, so on. I said, to investigate. There must be no motive, because the motive will dis- will dictate what you will dis- discover. If there is a cause, the effect is is dependent on the cause. So you, the the effect is not the truth, is not a react. So, can your mind? Be free of every motive to investigate whatever will happen at the end of it, which means can you be free of this authoritarian education that one has received from childhood, and that and that freedom can only come into being when there is the presence, necessity, and the urgency of urgency to find out the truth of the matter, therefore the background fades away.
1: The fourth extract is from the fifth talk at Rajghat in 1964, titled The Urgency of Love
0: if there is love there is peace, because they, you would educate your children not to be nationalists, not to uh, have only a technical job and look after his own petty little affairs. You would have no nationality, there would be no divisions of religions, if you love. But as these things actually exist, not theoretically, they exist brutally in this... world. Ugly world. It shows that you have no love. (coughs) Even the love of a mother of the to the uh, of a mother of a child is not love. Sorry, it's not love. If you really, if the mother really loved her child, do you think the world would be like this? She would say that he had the right food, right education, that he was sensitive, he knew he appreciated beauty, he was not ambitious, greedy, envy. So the mother, however much she may may think she loves her child, (coughs) does not. So we have not that love. It cannot be cultivated, obviously. It's like cultivating humility. (laughs) You understand? It's only the vain man, the man of arrogance, who can cultivate humility. That's a cloak – to hide his vanity. As humility cannot be cultivated, so love cannot be cultivated. But you must have it. If you don't have it, you cannot have virtue, you cannot be orderly, you cannot live with passion. You may live with lust, which we all know. So if you have no love, you have no virtue, and without virtue there is disorder. Now, how are you going to get it? You understand the problem? You must have it, as you must have water when you're thirsty. Now, how are you going to get it? Will time – that is, future life – not when you die in the next life, future life of tomorrow, that's good enough. Or the next second, which is, again, still the future. Will that give you this sense of love with care, which means beauty? You know, love and beauty go together, they're not separate. Unfortunately, for most of us, beauty means sensuality, sexuality. Your scriptures, your saints, your gurus, your sannyasis, all of them have done this to you, so that you have no feeling, no beauty. No love. And that terrible tragedy – I do not know if you realise what a tragedy it is – and since you must have it as a human being, what will you do? And not time – there is no time. You You understand the question? You can't say, well, I can't can't live without love, because I've lived without love. For two million years I'll live another two million years without love. (coughs) That means perpetual sorrow for the next two million years. So what will you do? You understand my question now? Sorrow cannot be read, cannot be put away or resolved through time. Nor can love be invited through time. And time is not ten days ahead, but the next minute, next second. What will you do? Will you jump in the lake? Because unless you find that, you are, you are already in the lake, and you have to find it, as you have to find food. This is a much more demanding, uh, much more strenuous thing that demands intense vitality. So what will you do? You understand? You, I'm not going to... Ha- you can't answer this question. If you say, please tell me what to do, you know, you are the, then you are missing the bus yes. entirely. But if you saw the importance, the immensity, the urgency of that question, not tomorrow, not uh, <coughs> next day or next hour, but see it now while you are sitting, And to see that you must have energy, not just, well, be, say, well, it <laughs> doesn't matter. So, just see the catalyst that makes the liquid into solid or vaporizes it immediately does not take place if you allow for a second time you you're falling <coughs> and all our existence all our books all our hope is tomorrow 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 this <coughs> admittance of time is the greatest sorrow. So the issue is with you, not with the speaker from whom you are going to get the answer. There is no answer – that's the beauty of it. You can sit cross-legged, breathe rightly or stand on your head for the next ten thousand years unless this question is... You have put it to yourself, not superficially, not verbally, not intellectually, but with your whole being. If you do not put it, you live two million years the 2 million years may be the tomorrow and so so problem and time are intimately related you see it now and as sorrow and love cannot be resolved, or love cannot exist through time, what it listen? What is the state of your mind that has put this question? You understand? I am putting the question for you, but if you put that question for yourself, not casually sporadically when it when you have little time to spare but actually put it you know with a, with an intensity with a drive with a vitality and energy what is that state of your mind are you waiting for an answer if you wait back again the whole repetition. If you ask somebody what is the answer, you are back into the proposition that you will… somebody knows and you don't know and he will tell you what to do. And that's the most terrible thing to demand of a man, or of yourself, for you to be told about something which nobody can tell you. Because I can tell you that you must love. I can tell you that love is not a thing to be cultivated, obviously. If you cultivate it, it becomes sympathy, kindliness, uh, social work and, you know, all that petty little stuff, it's as good as going to church. But it's not love. And one must have love. Now, if you have put that question, then what is this? Listen to what is the state of your mind that has put this question? Is it expecting an answer? is it waiting is it looking to see where it can find in its memory an answer all that admits of time and therefore you have if you are doing that you are not you have never put the question Right? You have merely put it verbally and a drowning man looking for a straw verbally has no meaning. So if you put that question with that alacrity, with that urgency, with that potency, Please listen carefully. Then what takes place in the mind? Because it has, it will not allow time to come and interfere. A mind that is, of, that is not caught in time and therefore not, be, does not belong to society, which doesn't mean it runs off, <coughs> becomes a hermit, a sannyasi, a monk, and a, that is just an escape from life. escape in its own self-induced hypnotic visions and mysticism. That is not... That has nothing to do with reality. Reality is to see the human existence every minute of the day with fullness, with vitality, with urgency. And it is only such a mind is the religious mind, not yes. nor the mind. So, what takes place when you do not allow time, when the mind does not allow time to come in, though the mind itself is the product of time? You, you because your mind, the brain, is the result of two million years – and oh, much more, probably, many more in a million years. And you are asking, and the mind is asking that brain, you follow, to not to be controlled by time, not to be shaped by time, not to respond to time, because certain parts of the brain are still animalistic. I won't go into all that, that's fairly... You can read a book and you'll know about it. Or you can observe yourself which is much simpler and much quicker and more direct. You can see some part of the brain which is called the cortex and so on and so on. That is still animalistic. And there's a great part of the brain which is not touched by civilization, by, cul- by culture, by the mind, by the brain, the animalistic brain. There are certain parts. W- and That part, if you allow time, will also be cultivated, will also be covered by the human experiences and miseries, and you will be sunk for the rest of your life. So, a mind that demands this question has not only to understand that it is the result of time therefore deny itself so that it can be outside the structure of time of society, (coughs) then you will find, I am now, up to there you can proceed, up to there you can come. Not only verbally, but actually, if you've gone through, if you're sitting here and have listened, really listened, with an urgency, with an intensity, you'll have come to that, obviously, that you have no longer held in the clutches of time. The mind, though it is the result of 10 million or more, is because you have seen the whole process, have understood it, immediately is out. Then, up to then, one can come. But to go much further, because that's only very, that's fairly obvious when one sees this thing, that's a child's play. Though you are all grown-up people, you, if you the moment you see, it says what, what have I been doing in my life? Then, then the mind has no. deceptions, has no pressures, because it's no problems, no tensions, no directions. Therefore, such a mind is, has space, an infinite space, both in the mind and in the heart. And it is only in that infinite space there can be creation, because sorrow, love, death and creation are the... are the substance, of this mind which is free of sorrow, which is free of time. And so that mind is in that state of love, and when there is love, there is beauty. And in that sense of beauty, in that sense of vast, infinite space, there is creation. And there is still further, further not in sense of time, there is still a sense of vast movement. Now you're all listening to it, hoping to capture it verbally, but you won't. any more than you can capture love by listening to the talk about love. To understand love you must begin very near, very near, which is your soul. <coughs> and then when you understand, when you take the first step, and that very first step is the last step then you can go very far, much further than the rockets to the moon or to the Venus or to Mars. The whole of this is the religious mind.
1: The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's first talk in San in 1978, titled Urgency Removes Interference.
0: If you have looked into the mirror carefully, seriously, not merely at your face, your hair, your eyebrows, and colouring and all the rest of it, but look. without any direction. Because the direction is a distortion. Please understand this one thing and then you'll be able to see in the mirror very clearly. We are always acting In a particular direction Success, you know all the rest I don't have to go into details. So can you observe without any movement the movement being thought looking? I wonder if you see that. You see, when you look at anything, doesn't matter what it is, thought is looking. Have you discovered that? Or imagination, fancy, memory, the past, Right? Can you look without the movement of all that, otherwise you can't see clearly? See the logic of it, the reason of it. If you see the reason, the logic, the sanity of it, that very sanity will, say, will put that aside. It's the unhealthy that bring all this in. It's the healthy that look because they're sane. Which means sanity is not possible when you remember all your illnesses, all the past pains. But when those are put aside, you can look very clearly without any difficulty. The looking then puts aside, pushes aside all those things which are not sane. You understand what I'm saying? The very urgency of looking puts aside the. Those things that prevent actual looking. Right? Is this clear? One thing clear. The very urgency of something. understand? You forget about everything else. The urgency of someone dying or so, far. the urgency dispels totally the movement of the past. You act. So do you. looking in the mirror. and you are looking at the mirror without any persuasion without any pressure, because there is no speaker but you are just observing yourself in the mirror. And the reason logic has told you the world, with all its violence, brutality, insanity, is brought about by the centre, in the name of peace, in the name of Christ, in the name of. um, nationality, brotherhood, you know, all the rest of it. Can you look? And the intensity and the urgency of watching dispels any interference of thought with all its images, associations. Are you doing it, or are you listening to the speaker when he says, there is no speaker? You understand? There is no speaker, and I'm the, I mean this desperately, passionately. And I say this with great affection, love, because then you are, cons- you are looking at the mirror yourself, not the speaker is influencing you, coercing you, urging you, persuading you. So you are here, if, may, if one may point out, Not to listen to the speaker, but to listen, observe yourself in the mirror. And the whole history of mankind is revealed there. And when you look with intensity it becomes so very simple.